Welcome to the MLHS podcast. My name's Ian Tullick, as always. I'm here with Anthony Petrielli. And we thought we'd do a really fun thing where we went back in time and pulled up the OG pension plan puppet squad. Anthony, I'll let you start to introduce some of these folks here because this was your idea. Yeah, like so 10, 12 years ago, I argued with all these guys on Twitter and and here we are, especially Julian. So I'm going to give it over to him to introduce himself and we'll just go down the line here. Yeah, so Julian, I'm MLSC on Twitter. Um, I started Pension Plan Puppets years ago. Um, yeah, until it finally kind of became too hard to write about the Leafs every single fucking day. I <laughs> know your pain very well, man. It is not always fun. Uh, we also have Dan here. How are you doing, Dan? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Uh, I was... Uh, not uh, an originator of uh, pension plan puppets, but I was there early days commenting a lot and contributing under the handle of Dao uh, in honor of Danny Dao. Um, and yeah, I was there for 2009 to 2012, 13, probably before jumping ship over to Twitter at uh, Julian's behest. Yeah. I famously recall Danny saying Twitter sounds so stupid. Why would I ever tell anyone what I had for lunch? Yeah, <laughs> and a common theme to his early tweets were, "Hey, look at where I'm having lunch downtown. What do you mean? <laughs> I'm getting the chicken tacos at Earl's. <laughs> that never happened." <laughs> In fairness, I think we can all agree Twitter's pretty stupid. So he might have been right about that part. <laughs> <laughs> the worst thing. That last ever but not to me. least, we have God Till. Some people call him Tiller. How you doing today, man? Good, man. How are you? I mean, uh, I'll let me know. Sorry. I'll let me, let me talk to you. I'll introduce myself. Uh, God till uh, together with Kim Jordan created Cox block. Uh, we invented sports media criticism in Canada. Don't listen to William Houston. And I've been doing this so long that I created an incredibly successful blog and then we blew it up. And uh, I, that's been still like another 10 years. And in all that time, the Maple Leafs have not won one playoff series. That is we, all we found the problem. True. so i've always loved blogs that's kind of where i started i always resonated more with people on blogs than i did with people in mainstream media so this is going to be a fun little conversation we get to have with everyone here the topic of conversation that i wanted to get in today is what we're going to be watching closely over the next couple weeks the leafs are starting up training camp preseason starts on saturday i don't know when you're listening to this There aren't going to be too many things you're watching closely because veterans obviously don't take training camp too seriously, but there are a few players who are fighting for spots and there are spots available in the top half of the lineup, especially on left wing that are going to be pretty interesting. So Anthony, we'll start with you and then we'll get uh, a a broader conversation going here around the round table. Who's going to be the player that you're going to be watching the closest over the next couple of weeks? It won't be a player. It'll actually just be Sheldon Keefe. I just want to see if he's going to take control of the bench or if it's going to be the Matthews and Marner parade for 25 minutes a night attached to the hip. Like that's, that's honestly it. Like, I just want to see if he's going to split up the top guys and potentially even roll three lines or if it's going to be more of the same. And and if deep down, they really believe that, you know, if John Tavares didn't get hurt, we would have been fine 
let's just keep everything the same and, and move forward. Are there any tactical decisions that you're looking for from him? It'll just, again, everything is going to like fend off that, right? It'll be like, what does he do with the power play? Is, is Mitch chilling on the half wall again, still unable to shoot? Or are they going to try some things out? Are they going to move some things around? And including on defense, where I think a very small underrated story is Muzzin got hurt two years in a row in the playoffs, the last one being a non-contact injury, like literally a non-contact, like nothing around him, just pulled it and was out. You're wondering and, if they manage his minutes a bit better during the regular season? Well, if they start b- baking in some contingency plans to their overall defense, right? Right. Les last year, it was just, this is our top four. They just played together the whole time and that was it. Or if this year they might sit there and say, maybe we should be ready because the betting odds might actually tell us that this guy might be getting hurt. (laughs) Okay. Julian, Anthony's guy is Sheldon Keefe. Who's your guy to watch over the next month? None of them. (laughs) None of this matters. It's such a mood until the playoffs. It's the same, like on it. And I was, I was thinking about this, um, before we started, like, I remember writing the same, like, training camp battles. Where are they? Where are they? Do they matter? And at the end of the day, they don't really exist for the most part, and they don't really matter. Like, the, the, the stuff at the margins isn't really going to make the difference for this team. And I think the stuff that is like an actual, like, the stuff that are actual questions are not things you're going to get answers to in camp. Like, you're not going to get answers to whether Muzzin's going to be able to last a full season and do it in the playoffs, even though he's getting older. You're not going to get answers about whether Campbell can do it for a full season. You're not going to get answers about Keith because whatever he's doing in training camp is just training camp lines. And who remembers those? And like, my big question is Tavares, right? Like, I think there's a real serious question about, like, how serious those injuries were and how much older he's getting for a guy with, like, low foot speed. But, like, in camp, I'm not going to be able to tell. So, yeah, like, I'm not going to be watching camp. And I, I agree. I, I don't pay much attention to camp. I think there's obviously stories. Old men. <laughs> there, no, there's, there's, there's stories there around, you know, the off season additions. Um, I feel like I already have kind of fatigue though. Cause I feel like this is, this is going to be a recurring theme with the way the team's structured and the, and the contracts and the salaries. It's going to be a parade of these kind of, you know, one-off new hires every year. And the same question, Oh, how so-and-so to contribute. Half the guys I don't even know, like was it Nick Bunting, Michael Bunting? There you go. Michael Second Bunting. time's a charm. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> like, like, but honestly, I feel like we're like, this is just the first time we're going to see this and it's going to be the same thing next year and the same thing the year after, you know? So I think there's some minor, like minor interesting stories, but to Julian's point, it, that's on the margins. I think, you know, where, where Nick Richie, where Nick Richie ends up on the, on the lineup or, um, you know, case will be interesting, but it's not going to determine the, the overall success of the team. I think there's a bigger angle to that too. I think people view those kinds of things the wrong way. It's like, where will Nick Ritchie play and will he be good? The bigger question is, will Matthews or Tavares make him good? Because they pay those guys $11 million to make guys that make $2 million good. Like if you want that money, that's part of what you signed up for, whether you knew it or not, your job is to then make those players good. But people sit there and it's like, oh, you're whining because you're like, you know, it all goes back to these guys. I'm like 100% because they couldn't do anything this summer. Like they couldn't do anything of magnitude. And it's going to be the same thing for the next four seasons. Yeah. Five seasons, right? Unless they move one of them eventually, right? So you're kind of in that boat of really this is how it's going to have to go. 
honestly, like I know this is making Ian sad because he wants to to care about the roster moves. Um, okay. <laughs> so, I, I just want to care again. <laughs> I, I will throw out that I am interested that we got Gusev on a PTO. I just thank I mean, you. Like yeah. we don't, I, you know, like I mean, I'm just interested. I don't know why I'm interested in him. I think he's a good player. I think he could score. I think he could help a power play. So that's that seems good. Um, Nick Ritchie's from the Peets, so that's good. Um, but yeah. It goes back to Anthony's piece about about separating the line, separating the superstars, because like you don't need to pay Mitch Marner to make Austin Matthews good. You know, um, Austin Matthews is going to get his with anybody. And and Mitch is very well suited to making, you know, Mitch came into the league and made Tyler Bozak and James Van Riemsdyk. They were already useful NHL players as much as we complained about Bozak better. Right. And he tricked everyone into thinking Patrick Marlowe could still play. Exactly. And there's no reason you can't do that. John Tavares, as you guys have said on this podcast, has spent 10 years getting, you know, jobbers paid. Can I touch on Nikita Gusev real quick? Because he was someone who, even before he came to the NHL, I was obsessed with it because he's putting up high point totals in the KHL, despite the fact that his rights were getting traded around like they were candy. He was picked in the seventh round, got traded over to Vegas. They didn't really want him. Then they traded him again. And I kept seeing him as this asset that teams shouldn't be trading away because any player who can go close to a point per game in the KHL usually comes over and can hang in the NHL. If you look at his numbers with the Devils, they were interesting. He could produce. Offensively, he produced at five on five on the power play, but he was a defensive black hole. If you look at his possession numbers, his team didn't have the puck very often. He's on the ice. So I'd be worried about playing him in the top half of the lineup because we know that guys like Mitch Marner, for example, William Nylander, they don't want to go hard into puck battles. They don't want to be F1 on the forecheck. I can guarantee you Nikita Gusev does not want to be F1 on the forecheck. He doesn't want to be F3 on the back check. He wants to get the puck and make some nice plays from, from the perimeter. I like the idea of inserting him into this lineup, seeing what he could do with Spezza in a sheltered role offensively, testing him maybe on that left-wing spot with Tavares Nylander, see if you could get something going there. Anthony, what are your thoughts on Gusev overall? Because I've always found him to be an intriguing player. I love those talented Russians who come over and make a splash, but... It's a PTO. At the end of the day, it's a PTO. I understand what it is, and I'm getting myself a bit overexcited here. Yeah, there's first of all, there's nothing a stats Twitter person loves more than a Russian mystery box that's under six foot that produced <laughs> a little bit in the K. Like, Sorry, we, you just describe Artemi Panarin to me? Yeah, we've seen that. We've seen that, but Panarin was younger, like way that, younger. That are an undersized defenseman. I think. Yeah, right? Like, oh, yeah. 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 Five, a, a self-described power play quarterback in the K like, like sign me up. This guy should be PP one in the show just day one. But I do think just looking. Here, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and the guy they got from Minnesota this year. Uh, Brandon Manel. Yeah. Manel, Manel. But I think for Gusev, the thing is, is the competition's not actually that difficult up the top of the roster. Like, especially at left wing. Yeah. Like Richie's like a middle six forward at best. Bunting has 26 games in the league. If Cassie makes it through camp, like that's a win. Cassie's right wing though. But he can't stay healthy. It's still just a good player out of the mix potentially. And then you're getting into like Adam Brooks territory. Yeah. So that competition actually isn't at like people. He left are, out Ilya Mikheyev. He's the one guy who I could see. Mikheyev's on the team. Like yeah. that's without question. Yeah. But those other guys, like Bunting seems to, like Bunting is intriguing, but he's 26 years old and has played 26 games in the league. Like, well, can, I think, can I ask you a question? I don't want to hijack the, the agenda, no, no. but like, you know, talking about the roster, do we feel better about the roster as it's starting right now versus what it was last year? You know, we, we've lost Hyman, which obviously is a loss, but, and um, you know, we, I think and B- Bogosian, but we, we've, we've 
we, we don't have Jimmy VC. We don't have Travis Void, Boyd. I call him Void, which is maybe <laughs> not that. Uh, <laughs> uh, Travis Boyd. Um, I think even Thornton ended up being a liability by the end of the season. You know, that, that wasn't working. Day so, one, when they said go to line one, he was a liability. Yeah. So, insane. I mean, and they kept him on PP1 all year, including key playoff games. Yeah. So, I, I feel like even though Hyman's gone and Bogosian's gone, um, you know, some of the other mystery boxes and question marks here, I'm a little more intrigued about than I was last year. They're like, they're deeper and the bets they made are better. Interestingly, an under talked about point is Hyman actually is really good. And he was on the top line and he could adequately play there on a real first line for 22 minutes a night. And like, it wouldn't be embarrassing against good players and they haven't filled that void at all. Like, so I don't know how they could do like a full top heavy approach because what are you going to do? You're going to put Nick Ritchie there and say, play 22 minutes a night against the Bergeron line. And then the point line, like you can't, like you could when Hyman was on the team. But but that, you, that, and that's going to be an interesting, an interesting spot to see how they fill that gap there with, with Hyman, because I think people think of him as a passenger a bit on the, on the, uh, with Matthews and Martyr, but he's a good player and I, I love them. And I love him at that price point, just not for that long. I think they, they just, his, his style of play won't lend him to play, to play that long, but uh, he's a great player. And it's a big hole for sure. Yeah, I think uh, this one's for Tiller. I think you go with the horses for courses approach. Nice. You kind of tailor some of those spots depending on who you're playing and depending on who gets hot. Like that's, you know, the circumstances being what you are, like that's really what the Leafs are going to have to do a lot of the coming seasons to deal with this cap is being able to just make a lot of middle of the road bets and hope, you know, one guy gets hot, next guy gets hot, and yep. some of these maybe hit. Um but they don't have a ton of flexibility otherwise, right? And of gets- all the guys we've mentioned right now, who do you guys think has the best chance of success? And let's say above what their paycheck is, because I think we'd expect Nick Ritchie to do- perform better than someone who's on a PTO, like say a Joshua Hosang. I think my personal pick is going to be Andre Kasha. And shockingly to anyone who knows I'm a nerd, I just, his problem has been health. If he could stay healthy, and this is always the big if with him, he's always been fantastic at transporting the puck. He's a very strong offensive player, passing, shooting. The problem with him is his concussion history, and he played, what, three games last year? So I feel like that's not a fair pick, though, because I, no one doubts that he's good. It's just whether he can stay healthy. Can he play 50 games yeah. this year? If Can he stay healthy? you got to remember what team you cheer for. So like maybe on another <laughs> team he would have stayed healthy and we could see if he bounced back. But I mean, I'm going to go with bunting. Um, because bunting has a lot of paths to succeed. I, I agree that Kasha is kind of a disqualification because if Kasha is healthy, Kasha plays and Kasha will contribute. And if he's not, he won't. It's just, it's, it's, it's that it's either or for me. Um, you know, a lot of this is going to be like with, with, uh, what Julian said with these guys that you, you can kind of churn through it's, can they do something that allows them to, to hang with the top guys? And if not, can they do another thing? that allows them to to contribute in another way. Like Jimmy VC last year, right? Oh was like, already tired. But he was, like, he was neither he fish nor fell, right? He couldn't score with the top guys. And if you put him on a lower thing, he couldn't check. So like you can't you can't use him. I think there's a possibility that Bunting could score in a complimentary role. And if not, that he could check and win puck battle. So I think there's going to be a role. For him. 
you could see him playing on any line on the team and be like, that could probably work if he plays well. And he might not play well. He's a bit of a lottery ticket, but he has a lot of paths to success. There was the point last season, like 15, 20 games in, and Keith said something paraphrasing, but he was like, yeah, I'm going to focus in on VC to like understand what's going on there kind of thing, <laughs> like to see like what's happening with his game. And I was already like, man, this guy sucks. Like, <laughs> I don't under like, what are you watching? Like, there's nothing to watch. Like, he's just not good at hockey. Like, I don't know what to tell you. My, my daughter, 11 years old, like, yeah, 15, 20 games in, she goes, daddy, what does VC do? And I was like, <laughs> classic tweet saying, format. My daughter looked at me and said, "Why is the Jimmy BC man out there?" Yeah. On the- Put this- them in touch with the head coach because he was <laughs> trying to figure it out, and they knew. Like there was nothing there. It just and, and didn't he like he was he didn't score a single point for like fifteen games, and he scored like two goals in one game. He, he and scored then the first again. game of the season. That yeah, the puck yeah. went off the ref behind the net, and Nylander centered it in front, and he scored. And I instantly knew it was the worst thing ever to happen. I was like, "This guy's <laughs> terrible," but people are going to think he's good because he scored. And they did. It bought him like two weeks with this market. Yeah, like, oh, VC's good. I was like, "Guys, he scored an empty net." Yeah, it was a literal gift off the ref. Yeah, I, I have a hard time picturing any of these guys they've added being as useless as Jimmy VC was last year. So, no. like. The- but if we're going to talk about ability relative to contract and a guy that I think could far exceed it, I'll actually go off board and say Mrazek because I okay. do think he's capable of playing like 55 and giving them above average goaltending. And for under 4 million, that would be a bargain. If you look I, at some of the more advanced metrics on Mrazek, they're very strong, especially last season. He's and good. Goal, goaltending metrics, again, very difficult to predict, very difficult to measure. There's a lot of context in there. There's a lot of environmental effects you have to take into account. But Toronto's defense last year was excellent. Was good. That's was really that's good. one of the toughest things about evaluating this team is that when you think of the Toronto Maple Leafs, you think of a tire fire defensively, fun players offensively. That kind of switched last year. Last year, they had a bit more trouble scoring than a lot of people would remember. And defensively, they were fantastic. They Anytime were really- TJ Brody or Jake Muzzin were on the ice, they didn't give up very many scoring chances, even when Zach Bogosian was on the ice. Their shots against were way down for sure. And they had they had questionable goaltending for long stretches and they still had uh, good goals against numbers. Well, one question I have though, is how much of that was playing against the same five teams that weren't very good? That's what I was uh, going to say. A lot over, of those teams over, were over. good offensively though. The Jets, the Oilers, as much as they had problems, those teams were elite offensively. With were, elite they, or were they just in a dumpster division and all the numbers were inflated? Edmonton yeah, when you see them against Tampa, Boston, Florida. Edmonton is good offensively. When we're talking about Winnipeg's offense. I mean, now, yeah. If that's the case, there's 10 to 12 elite offenses in the league, right? I mean, yeah. they're the third best uh, offense in the division, maybe. Edmonton is good offensively, but the Jets sure. don't, didn't have a D-man that could make a breakout pass. So They have six this year. Like, well, yeah, this yeah. year they're, they look much better, but... The, the concern is there's a real probability that the Leafs' three best defensemen have all played their best hockey. Mm-hmm. I like all of them. I really like Brody. I really like Muzzin. I've wanted those players to be on the Leafs for 15 years. You know, I've wanted <laughs> I've wanted players like that, to, like to get old again, like Uskevich and 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 Danny Markov, yeah. players like that. You know, and those guys were the best. But Ooh. like, you know, they are they are. You know what? Brody's about 29 now. Muzzin's like 31, 31. 32. Riley's 28, and depends on skating. Like, yeah, it's funny. Till you're you're right. Brody's think, 31, by the way. Oh, He's I not, thought he was younger. Yeah. And it's and funny because I have I have a lot of faith. I'm still very optimistic and really high on our, our forward forward core. Um, but you're bang on with the defense, you know, like 
they've got a couple of years here before a, a significant decline probably kicks in. So um, I think our forwards have a long life ahead of them or long road ahead of them, but the D group does not. So I'm a little, I'm worried about that as well. One of, one of the big reasons I wanted to have you guys on, especially as, as original bloggers, and I know how dedicated you guys have been to watching the team for so long is this is the first year in a while. And I mean, it's subjective, but just, you know, things have been opening back up. I've been playing my own like recreation hockey in the, in the summer and whatnot, you know, getting to see people a little bit more often recently. And the thing that I keep hearing from just friends or acquaintances or whatever is like, I don't want to watch these guys this year. Like, like I don't want to do it. And maybe that's just me, but from, from what I like across the board, like people that don't speak to other people that I know that are just like, I don't want to watch them. Like I can't like how, like what's the mentality for fans going into this season? Cause anger is good because anger still means you care, but a lot of just like, I'm over it. I feel like this is, I remember probably 15 years ago now my dad doing the same thing like wow i'm never watching these bums yeah never again and my mom being like oh yeah this is the boy that cried wolf <laughs> like i think you you kind of i found personally like you start just petering off of it like i remember when it was you know i'd watch all 82 games on tv every preseason every playoff game and i find like after a while you just kind of start get watching just enough to be on top of things. And then you pick like the Saturday nights that are a lot of fun, some of the rivalry games, but like I could see a lot of people backsliding into that group and, and kind of holding off until later in the season to get a lot more invested. And, and for me, I'm, I'm the opposite. And maybe I've gotten philosophical in my old age. I think partly I've just resigned myself to the fact that the Leafs aren't going to win the cup in my lifetime. So yeah. with that as an expectation, removed it's a lot easier but you know back to my comment earlier about the teams we watched in 2009 and 2010 like goddamn, we watched a lot of horrible hockey teams and a lot of horrible hockey and as frustrating as um the last season especially was um this is a really talented team it's the best team i've watched even better like versus the quinn era teams this is the best team i've watched and you know ultimately i just love watching hockey and it would be a shame to not watch this team. Cause I think like we're, like we're seeing literally a generational talent in, sure. in, in Matthews and to, and to not watch that because you're pissed off. And I, 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 I totally get. No, no, and and like, I, I would say I don't miss a single highlight, right? Like I'm just not sitting down and saying like, I have to avoid everything to watch every single one of these games. Right. Like, cause I agree, like they do incredible things and, and they're fun to watch. It's just more like, how am I consuming, you know, those little um, highlights compared to the whole game? Um, but I find obviously like as a Twitter and my phone, I'm still very connected. Yeah. Connected to the team, even if I'm not watching the entire game, but it's more kind of picking and choosing a bit more than you would have before. And to be fair, I think, you know, I mentioned before, like my, my daughter, who's now 12, she's really gotten to hockey over the last well, five or six she's years in the like feverish age right totally and so that and, and that made it really um it was really good for me to watch hockey with her for um a lot of years especially when it's like the, you know the early days of, of matthews and, and nylander you know the team was still kind of still kind of crappy um but no expectations just this kind of like bright-eyed you know enthusiastic kind of embrace of, of hockey which made it easy 
but it was funny this this year with the playoffs it was the first time i saw her really kind of getting emotional and, and game six when they lost in overtime and i i missed it because i was slamming my hands on the, on the counter myself in the kitchen when montreal scored she picked up her, her little plastic glass that she had milk in and threw it across the room and i <laughs> and i missed it and then my the, wife, uh the pure dorian <laughs> <laughs> and then she went to bed and my wife said oh you better go and go and see her she's really upset and I went in and she was just crying. And, and I was like, Leah, it's okay, kiddo. She's like, I'm just so frustrated. And I was like, ah, oh, man, welcome aboard. Sprinkle some beer on her forehead and go, you've been baptized. <laughs> <laughs> you are a Leafs fan today. That was me. 2002, after they got eliminated by the Hurricanes, I cried all night. I was 10 years old. And then the next morning, I made a Neopets account called Canes Suck. <laughs> that's how i got through it that was my grieving process that's legit. so i come at this from a different perspective because like i hear what you guys are saying but like to me hockey sucks and hockey's bad <laughs> like growing up i wasn't i didn't play hockey i didn't i watched baseball and i didn't get into hockey until i was like danny's daughter's age and i got into the leafs and i got into like 93 and 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 you know well, just before that but that tricked that, you that's kind of how I got into it. But like, and there are like, you know, players There's like watching Mario or Bobby or Fedorov or, or, or Matthews now that make it worth watching. But overall, hockey's terrible. I never want to watch it unless the Leafs are on. I'm not going to watch Nashville against Buffalo. Ian I'm the same. Comes on the, Ian comes on the podcast and he runs his mouth and says, we all want to understand this game better. I don't. I don't care. <laughs> hockey sucks. The only things I want to watch are the Leafs and the Spangler Cup. I just want the way, you know. <laughs> Half the time Spangler Cup, what the hell are you doing? The other half of the time, he's running the Brendan Gallagher fan club on here. I have to look and make sure that, you know, this isn't like Grant McCagg special guesting. Uh, so I, like, for me, I my love of hockey is basically because I love the Leafs and basically because I love being a Leafs fan. Same. And the connections, I mean, the fact that I'm on here with people that I met on the internet 20 years ago, you know, like that kind of says it all with the role they play in their life. And it's like gotten to the point for me where I find it harder and harder to bounce back. And so I care about hockey less and less because like I dropped out of a fantasy league last year. Cause I'm just like, it's harder to bounce back. And, and I never thought it could get to the point where I was like, well, I don't care, but, and I still care. Obviously I'm on here being a gigantic nerd on, on a, on a weeknight, but I, I finally seen a, a future in which I could see me actually not care. So, Anthony, I've got a question for you because me and you are both trying to do articles about this team. We're trying to put work out into the universe that someone might actually care about when deep down, I'm not sure if you and I actually care about this regular season, because how could you after watching this team year after year after year do well in the regular season, light it up, Matthews and Marner going off points wise, and then not getting it done in the playoffs. It's natural to not want to care about the regular season. I'm going to be grasping at straws trying to derive some kind of meaning from these regular season games but as an analyst well, you gotta do the game reviews man how are you gonna handle I'm doing that? them <laughs> yeah no i'm already trying to talk myself through it this is a little bit of a therapy session for me right now Anthony, every game review dermot stopped a guy off the rush at the blue line five stars six <laughs> stars riley, <laughs> missed, riley missed a breakout pass five stars yeah. <laughs> riley's gap was an inch looser than i wanted it to be two stars to be honest, not impressed I, I think slept on um good news for the Leafs is that we still have travis dermot i was expecting the whole year that he was going to be gone and I honestly think he can play and I think he can help the team and I think it's good that we still have him. 
So there's your little ray of positivity after the old guys wrecked your life so bad that you're reconsidering. <laughs> and I think shockingly, Ian, I agree with you. <laughs> I think Ian, it, for, for your game reviews, there's still a ton of stories though, that this Leafs team is going to be good, but there's a ton of stories that we're going to have to follow. We talked about the roster already, but like to Anthony's point about uh, minutes for Matthews and Martyrs, that'll be a huge thing to watch. The power play was abysmal last year. Oh my God. Like abysmal. After a hot start, it was abysmal. Last so, 29 games of the year, five think, goals for, five goals against. Yeah, like, so there's going to be stuff there. Even if it's a good regular season, there's, there's going to be things in there to dig into because this team is good, but it has it has ability to be way better, I think. And I think it's a big year for Keith, even though it's, this is only his first, I think, real, real full regular 82, season, right? Yeah. 82. With a full training camp as well. Full training camp, you know, like, and last year was kind of weird and you can, you can give them excuses with not playing in front of fans, playing the same team, shortened schedule. So it feels weird to me to say, I, I feel like it's a big year for him, but I, he's got a lot to prove right now. He does, but this is also what I hate about hockey because you can look at the glass half full and say, Sheldon Keefe, you know, has come into the NHL and, and you know, with a great team. So you got, you can't take that away from him. He, you know, he showed, this isn't Peter Horacek situation, but like, you know, has had a lot of adversity with off the ice stuff, coached the Leafs into being the best defensive group that I've seen in 15 years as a Leafs team. And with a couple bounces wins the first round and who knows how he does. And we're having a totally different conversation. Right. And, and Anthony made the point as well about, about the, that first round, like the Tavares injury. Sure. Right. If, if he's not injured, I mean, they should have won anyways, but they he, dominated he, games two, three and four, which is why I hate that excuse. But right. But so they, they did. But yeah, it's it, more it, like which, the extra boost when they were stuck in five, six. Yeah, and seven, that's it. Right? It's just one more game breaker. Um, I mean, my advice, you, you mentioned, you know, how do we how do you and Anthony write about the Leafs all year? And I remember um, like when Jason uh, or Chani joined TPP. Like we were just writing stuff that made us laugh or made, was interesting to us because like at the end of the day, you guys are big Leafs fans. So you just kind of pick out whatever angle you, you find interesting. And I mean, it's still fun to write about the Leafs and not get so uh, kind of down on the grind. I have a request, which is like, I think, you know, I, I think you both are, are, are really good writers. I learned a lot about hockey from me and both of you. And thank you. Um, Agreed. As I um, appreciate it, guys. As, I mean, it's a lot better than reading Danny's comments back in the day. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, uh, my question is like, there are still like, I still think that, you know, I come to this from like baseball analysis, which just got a, a larger group of nerds on board way earlier um, and, and, and had more. So like, I think that sometimes we're still working through questions in hockey that, uh, that, you know, like, like, you know, to use the money ball analogy, does Kyle Dubas's shit work in the playoffs? Right. And I think it would be interesting, like for a game review, I think, I think what we've learned from game reviews is it doesn't matter if Mitch Marner has a good game or not. You know what I mean? Like individual player games are not necessarily that meaningful. If you can continually lose to uh, aggregates of shittier players to pardon my French. Right. A, a question I have, for example, that, that bugs me as somebody, you know, who grew up playing soccer, watches a lot of soccer, did not grow up playing hockey, has never played hockey at a high level. How much, so watching soccer and, and Julian will back me up on this. So much of it is coaching and systems and what roles you put players in to succeed or not. Right. And I think about the Leafs with winning puck battles, you know, Anthony's fond of saying you throw a puck in the corner, what guy comes out, that's a better hockey player. You're going to What I want to know is like, how much of that is individual ability and how much is that the system you put them in? Like I'm a city fan and Pep Guardiola, you know, 
has a system in which players who are not very large or physically imposing can suffocate teams and win battles to, for, to retain possession or to gain possession over and over and over again. So my question is like, why don't the Leafs do that? Is it, can the, well, I'm getting it back to hockey, Dan. Can the Leafs create a system uh, which more effectively means that they can win more puck battles or is the only answer to do what it seems like they've done over the past couple of years, which is just to say, well, we just need to get more individual guys like Wayne Simmons and, and, and et cetera, who are going to win those puck battles for us. And I, I find it interesting. Question with Noah Hyman. I, I find it really interesting that you make the soccer analogy because I think Keith and Dubas are very interested in Pep Guardiola and the possession style of play and how to apply those concepts into hockey. Obviously the two sports are different, but I found that when you analyze another sport, whether it's basketball, football, soccer, and you can apply some of those concepts to hockey, hockey's so far behind other sports when it comes to evolutions in the positions, whether it's the way that we integrate information into the game. I just, I find that maybe baseball is a little bit further behind when it comes to some stuff, but they're also way ahead of us on the analytics side of things. Uh, when it comes to the soccer point that you brought up and the Leafs, when it comes to winning puck battles, if you have a roster full of guys who are 5'10 and 5'11, can you win a bunch of puck battles? Yeah. I look at the Tampa Bay Lightning. I know that they had some smaller guys, but their system was in place to win battles along the wall, maintain puck possession, keep it rolling in the offensive zone and get things going. I think with the Leafs, you saw it with the players they acquired this offseason. They want guys who can transition the puck. The Nikita Gusevs that they acquired, the even if it's just a flyer on a Joshua Hosang, the fact that it was a flyer on him and not a flyer on some six-foot-eight fighter, I think goes to show you that they're trying to get guys who can fit into their system of five-man puck possession, slowly starting your own end, bringing it up the ice, having the three players high in the offensive zone and then attacking down into it. I'm not sure if they're ever going to be a dominant puck battling winning team. And I know your question was, can you find a way to use fair, though, the way that you just characterize that? Like you picked a guy that they signed to a PTO and a guy that'll barely make the AHL team over Nick Ritchie. Who's like six. He's, two, a, he's a face puncher. Yeah. And like, even Michael a guy Bunting's... like Bunting who's small, but he's like, he's feisty. If he's going to make the team and stick, it's going to be because. Andre Kasha. Andre Kasha fits the yeah. earlier descriptions. He's a like, he's an aggressive forechecker. Hung up on acquisitions. Like for me, it matters yeah. a lot more if, if Mitch Marner is going to win more puck battles. Yeah, that's a very fair point. Even though he's not the biggest guy in the ice, he has a good stick. He reads the great the game incredibly well. There aren't too many guys who can read the game faster than Marner and see things before they happen faster than Marner does. So if he can use that vision to get himself into the right spots on the forecheck and apply the pressure before the other team can make a breakout pass. Like, that's what you want to see. You want to see him be more engaged in those areas. Where did you guys get most frustrated with him in the playoffs? Because we can talk about the power play. We can talk about the half wall, but. Oh, my God. But the there's. over the glass. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't even want to talk yes. about pucks over no. glasses. Let, let's talk about actual flow of play. About, let's talk about flow of play five on five. He, he was. It, it became it was five on five until he put it over the glass. I think, no, I'm serious. That those are legitimate concerns. Cause it seemed like he was having like a Richie Tenenbaum at the U S open. No. <laughs> and, and I do believe that like, you know, he heard the footsteps. Looks like King Cup. It matters, right? And well, uh, honestly, and I, I don't know what game it was. And I'm sure I actually saw it more than once. He looked like, and I have legitimate concerns about Marner being a leaf super fan. Yeah. And, he yeah. looks scared. It, he it, looks it, scared. Looked, it looked like he was, okay, I have to put this team on my back and do it myself. And he's he's skating into the blue line, trying to go through three skaters. 
and puck gets pulled away and 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 the play dies. I was like, what are you doing? And it looked like he was trying way too hard to do it all himself. And I think he, he was he was he was he was in his own kitchen so much in that series there. It was unbelievable. I think the best thing the Leafs could do is invest in um, uh, a, a psychologist for for Matthews and Marner over the offseason because Marner especially he is he's at the starts. Marner yeah. looked like Marner <laughs> yeah, or, looked like Cougar. Or buy him a carton of Rothman special red, right? For sure. Yeah, Instead of Red Bull between intermission, he should yeah. be doing meditation in the ice bath, maybe. But yeah, like, I mean, kidding, kidding aside, you guys all saw it. Like he was trying yeah, he so was, hard to do it himself. Yeah. He was I think with Marner, mind. his biggest issues throughout his career have been when he tries too hard because he's not a guy who's gonna dog it on a back check. He's not a guy who's gonna dog it on a four check defensively early in his career he'd overskate a play he'd try so hard on the forecheck that he'd take himself out of the play and then the other team was able to break the puck out he had to learn how to rein himself in and read the game and actually skate a little bit less to conserve himself anthony i know you have a point go ahead and make it yeah actually i can't take credit for this because a if friend called, <laughs> a friend called and told me this um this week but he was saying and i i've been thinking about it a lot re- since he said it was Marner loves to slow the game down, but that's not really playoff hockey. Like playoff hockey is way tighter. Like you don't get to slow it down because guys actually back check in the playoffs. Like you don't get Kucherov slows the game down. You don't get those three on twos, not off the rush though. Like he doesn't like, he makes plays at fast speed. Like he doesn't, he slows it down to his pace, but he doesn't just like look to be like, I'm going to curl back and like take my time and make a play. Like, Everything Marner's doing is super, super slow, right? Like he's never beating anybody off the rush. Yeah, how slow we play. Like they were really slow last year, especially with Joe Thornton company. You talk about Kucherov. Kucherov can shoot the puck. Like Kucherov has a bomb, and that makes such a big difference when it comes to the spacing and respecting the shooter, backing off and taking away those passing lanes. No one, no one backed off on Marner at all in the playoffs when he was trying to carry the zone. The other problem, which I think. I, I want to go back to something that you two talked about on your last show, which is I do think that it's too structured sometimes. Um, and, and it goes yeah. back to them not having a plan B when, you know, plan A gets shut down by Columbus and now by Montreal. And the fact talking five on five or power play. Both. I mean, everything, you know, <laughs> everything. But like, you know, you got I think it was a power play argument. You all were arguing about Boudreaux saying sometimes you just need to get some shots. Yes, the shot from the point is a crappy little percentage shot, but if you get somebody two feet Something. out who gets the rebound on an empty net, then that's a super high percentage shot. Yeah, And the Leafs need to figure out ways to make high percentage shots other than being on the half wall, curling back, roping it around the perimeter, which was happening at even strength or power play. Um, and, and Marner is a, a creator. He doesn't necessarily need to slow the game down to create. Marner can make something happen on a broken play, and he never gets the opportunity to do that. He's not making plays at high speed. Like he's not beating guys. He's not, obviously he can't shoot. Like those are things that you have to do in the playoffs to be successful. And we talk, when we think about the upcoming season, just to kind of get back to that point, the thing that I've started to grapple with is like, how do I derive meaning out of what's happening? Because to some degree you want to look and say, okay, like, this is going to set them up for success in the long run. At the same time, you don't want to sit there and like shit your pants on a Tuesday game against Columbus and be like, this was great. Like they're going in the right direction because that's insane. 
I'm not going to sit there gonna and start do that. reading out lineup cards from the right? 2009, 2010 season. It was interesting about those teams though, because you could sell me on hope at that time. The yeah. hope even of though, Nicholas Hagman, even though they traded the picks, <laughs> even though whatever you could sell me on, it's going to get better. Yeah. But the current, well, and that's is, exactly it, man. That's, we're living in an era of actual expectations with a lot, yeah. which, which a lot of we fans, can't handle it. We can't a lot handle of fans yeah. have not gone through before. Right. Like when the I current when team, I, like, if not these guys, then who? Yeah. Right. Come on. The, the and, hard part is that we, we went through 2009 and 2010 to say, okay, w- eventually we're going to hire some competent people. And we did. And eventually they're going to start doing things the right way. And they did. And eventually we're going to get a bit of luck and win the lottery. And it's going to be a year where there's actually a generational player at one, one. And they did. And all of this happens, and we still lose to a dog shit Canadian team. <laughs> totally. After losing to a dog shit Columbus team the year Columbus before. Team, both teams playing ugly loser John Tortorella. Muck it up. Hockey. I, I, I still little think, brother like, hockey. What now? What now? Uh, and, 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 and Tiller, that's where my daughter got to because yeah. she was willing to give, you know, the first three playoff series they lost, they're playing against better teams or young players, you know, yep. Columbus, COVID. You know, weird series, Muzzin got injured, fine. But this year should have been a fucking slam dunk, pardon me. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, yeah. we watched we watched whatever it was, 56 games or 62 games, and they basically dominated and cruised through it. Yeah. And it felt like this is this has to be the team, the, the year they, they finally- To make a run. Series, to make a uh, run. And they didn't. Okay. And so the, as much as I'm philosophical, I 100% get the anger that people have. And if people want to say, F this team until you show me you can do it, like, I get that because they, they shit the bed last year. They absolutely, like, there's no reason to lose that team. But the flip side is Tampa Bay lost to Columbus, got swept, right, the year before they, they won their, their cup, right? Was it the year before? Back-to-back for Tampa. Yeah, after losing to Columbus in four in the first yeah. round. Yes, because then yes. they played because then they played Columbus after the Leafs lost to Columbus, which was the <laughs> yeah. thing, and then they beat and them. And then did they Tampa win. overhaul their roster? Did they trade away one of their star players? They stayed but the did course. Did Tampa go to a cup no. with that roster? Course? Well, and this is already. If, yeah. if, if I'm being if I'm being old optimistic Walked guy, and win some rounds before they broke through. Yes. Yes. But I, I look at Tampa, and Tampa won their first cup with Stamkos like nine years after he was drafted. 10 years. Now they, had, they, they had some good runs it, in between. Was it two years after he was drafted? They went to the conference finals and lost to Boston. Right. But then they had, then they had gaps. So where they, they're yeah. out in the first round of the playoffs, Washington, like Ovechkin, like that narrative, how old was that narrative? Right. That well, Ovechkin can't win. The entire era of hockey is that the Leafs stayed not winning rounds the entire time. <laughs> the entire yeah. time. And consistent. I hate to say it, but is Matthews not weirdly a comp to Ovechkin? I know they don't play the no. exact same style, but physical freak. Best goal scorer in the world right now. Ovechkin had like 40 points in his first like 28 playoff games. Has Matthews also, done that? Also, Ovechkin has a power play built around him, which apparently Matthews doesn't, even though he's the best goal scorer in yeah. the world. It and is, five on five, he's the best goal scorer exactly. by so far. Throughout his yeah, career, if you rank Matthews. A power play too, if they actually said, hey, you know the whole point of this power play is to get him the rock. Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, I've the said this power play should just be people saying, where's Poochie and getting it to Austin Matthews. <laughs> it's weird though, because his best shot, <laughs> but his you know, best I've said shot this before. is that curl and drag from the left side of the ice, but he also has that one timer from the right can... side of the ice that's decent, but it's not his bread and butter. Where would you set up Matthews shot. in an ideal power play? I don't care. The point is that he shoots. It, like it that, matters. It, it really two, matters. It doesn't actually. The two months yes, where it they does. scored three power play goals. 
They would have scored more if they literally just said, give the puck to Matthews and let him shoot every single time. Is, is it similar to, because I mean, maybe I'm misremembering, but I feel like Kessel scored a lot of goals five on five and like more on the rush and more fluid, but yeah. also struggled in the stationary kind of power play kind of formation. And it feels like, you know, Ovechkin has the slapper, Stamkos has a slapper from this point there, but they haven't found that equivalent yet for Matthews. Matthews um, is so, such a good shooter around the net that you can honestly not convince me that if they weren't running like an old school Pat Quinn power play with like <laughs> one person getting teed up by Riley and then you just put Tavares and Matthews close to the front of the net to, to, to take rebounds, they would score more goals than they scored last year. Matthews net front idea? Yeah. Is yeah, that thrown out there? Yeah, net front. Have him just, yeah. Who? What goalie wants to stop a point shot and Austin Matthews is breathing down your neck and he can put it anywhere with a flick of the wrist. Anyway. This is going to hurt your heart, but do you know where they played him in game seven with the season on the line? They had a power play in the third period. Matthews was I in the bumper. Remember, I did not watch game seven last year because I knew we were done. Marner right wall, Matthews bumper, Nylander left wall. I think it was Sandine at the point. And who'd they have in front? Tavares in front. Oh no, it wouldn't have been Tavares. would have been someone else. Sandine's getting um... walked to power play one after not being on the team all year. Like, that's the same thing when you're saying about what side should Matthews play. It doesn't matter what side he plays if the other guy is Marner on the other side. Like, Bingo. it's about the coaching staff taking Marner down low the team. and Nylander is the other shooting option. Like, I, I love know. that. And you do, uh, as a nod to Guardiola, you get them swapping whenever they feel yeah. like it. Interchanging so roles, exactly. The curl or the one-timer. Um, but just a lot more movement. That. Like, they, they yeah. just were so static. And... Like it, it literally looked like you flip a switch. Like at Christmas, all the other coaches said, Hey, here's how you stop this. And they went ice cold. And obviously it's a function of playing everyone so much, but it was brutal. The thing is, like, I know these guys want to talk about the Quinn era Leafs, and I've Ugh. I've just continued to go well, back to this we'll point. Get and we'll get and no, this this bleeds to that point. At no point did I ever question who was in charge of that team. I'm sure you guys remember when Tucker went to Quinn. And there was a whole thing because those guys had a blowout behind closed doors. And Tucker was like, this guy will kill me. Like, without question. He's a monster when he gets mad. Like, he, like, Quinn ran the team. Like, that was his team. And they just do a lot of things that you sit there and go, who's in charge here? Who's, who, who's, who's directing this? Yeah. Right? There's a, there's a bit of um, that chaos, I think, depending on who's around, right? Like, the, the famous story with the Quinn Arrow Leafs was that he would like ditch practice and let Rick Lee run it, but all the players had a yeah. complete lack of respect for him and they would just fuck around all practice. So I, I, don't know. I, I think, I think the, the makeup of those, those Quinn teams, you know, you had one superstar in Sundin basically, and he was about as humble as they got. In terms of you know, McGillney was a star too. Well, sorry, and, and McGillney, sorry, yeah, even still. But I mean, in terms of a consistent kind of you know through there, um, but it was really kind of a, a a team by committee more than this team seems like there is these there's these superstars right, and you do have to wonder, yeah, how much are they directing? How much are they influencing ice time decisions and you know overriding decisions on a power play or whatever, right? So. I think um, Quinn let them F off because he trusted them as vets. But like when the game started, like he was in control of that lineup and who was going out there and he had no problem like blowing it up or whatever. I just, when I see it from the Leafs end, I, like I know I've said this a million times and I've been hard 
on Nylander as much as anybody else, but like he was sick the final few months. Like he was actually really good. He was and, awesome. And his ice time did not change. And that's and the most frustrating part because yeah. if you're and not going to get rewarded for that it, is bullshit. what's the point? Right. And we hear about the Mikheyev trade request. And because Mikheyev's sitting there, he's like, it doesn't, it literally doesn't matter what I do. Like they will not play me more. And that's I can think of one Jason Spezza <laughs> looking at Joe Thornton's role. Score. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but even if he does, what's the reward? Yeah, no, you're right. There right? Is, like, yeah, what does it matter? One of the things I was really looking forward to when Keith took over instead of Babcock was Babcock was so rigid, right? Like you said, like you know, the, the line shit, the line combos were the same for 82 games. And uh, you know, he had his guys and whatever, and Roman Polak was gonna play and whatever. And I was like, okay, well, Keith will see something different. And there are some things that are different, but there are some things that just don't change. And like, yeah, Willie never got more time. Mitch Marner and, and Matthews are never getting broken up. And it's frustrating to see that rigidity. If you're Travis Dermott and you come in in the middle of a playoff series cold and show out and play really well and the team wins and then you sit your ass down the next game, you're like, what am I doing? Like, that's just crazy. Like he played well. That to me, like, that's the kind of decision that sets the tone for like how the team is approaching the game. It's like, well, we're up three one, like, let's screw around and put this rookie in the game and let's put Brooks in the game and like yeah. let's just see how it goes because we're playing with house money right now. And then suddenly they win and it's three two, and you go back to Montreal and you just lay an absolute egg. And now you're in game seven, anything can happen. And it like it starts with like, why did Dermot come out of the lineup? Yep. Okay, well, the reason is Rasmus Sandin is their best prospect, and he has really good offensive upside. You I want to develop visit... prospects by just the throwing play. them into a playoff game, man. Like, that's Kale McCart developed that way. You think that's how Kale McCart developed? No, I think he was you... already an awesome hockey player, and then you played him. Like, but I think the same thing about Rasmus Sandin. I don't think he's as good as Kale McCart. I don't think he's I proven think... that he's better than Travis Dermott today. But I, I'm less concerned, given the Leafs' uh, top-heavy forwards and their offense there, I, I care less about the offensive contributions. I care more about the overall play of the defense. I think you're right. Like Dermot was great. And why was he out? You know, you don't, you don't use game six of the playoff to, to develop your prospects. Right. Yeah. That's insane. Well, and I, the power play was struggling and Sandine's good on the power play. When they announced the, I feel like that's the kind of thing that, that I feel like that's the kind of thing that instills the sense of panic in the team. Yeah. Right. Like when you're yeah. kind of like, is there really, is this really the plan you've come up with? Yeah. Or are you just throwing shit at the wall? Like, like you like had pick, a third pick pairing. Pick to love it, but I'll say it's like new boss, same, a bit same as the old boss. Yeah. Like in some of the rigidity and things that he, he experiments. I don't know. I always, I don't want to say experiments in the wrong way, but. Um, the wrong time for sure yeah i I think it's like Like, i think there's experiments for some guys and not for other guys and i think that that's a problem when i think that these probably have challenges with the team concept because of the way their roster construction is like like there's definitely a lot of accountability if your name's pierre engball right (laughs) like oh he has no problem shitting on he's really brave the chest is out when it's pierre engball but like, yeah, we ever, we never saw Like, I mean, and, you know, with the power play, I get it. Rasmus Sandin helps power play. As I said, I have a Rasmus Sandin jersey. I, he's my favorite player. On no. The yes, I do. <laughs> you really? Yes. He's, he's your top one player on the team. He's my favorite. He's not the best. Player, like your top one I, favorite player on the team. Yes. Rasmus I respect Sandin. that. I love the, I love his vision. I love Rat, the way he sees like, the game. I also own a Connor Carrick jersey, man. I don't tend to. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> like over um, 34, Sandin is your favorite. Yes. Yeah, you can't have Matthews as your favorite. That's like that's, like that's like cheering for Santa Claus. Everyone loves Austin it's Matthews. It's too obvious. Cheering not, for Santa Claus. There's no Claus. personal connection. 
Because right? the Leafs have, in their history, just bled well, players. He's just, that but he's, nev- he's just never going to be your guy. Yeah, right? he's never like, going to be your guy. Standing to be his guy. It's kind of like Travis Dermott and me. It's like the guy who I always liked more yeah. than the average person. I'm, I'm going to lean into like, this. Like uh, Danny and Joel Champagne. That was well, I love Joel Champagne. I didn't there you like go. Guys, the bigger point <laughs> is when you have a third pairing all year, like literally the entire season, and then you just randomly torch it in the yeah. playoffs, that's dumb. Sandine Bogosian is the same concept. No, no it's, it's, not. Not. it's not. man. You don't just like, it's, it's not. not these guys works. are not. They're not. They're not fridge magnets that you can move yeah. around. Like you I know, mean, yeah. Zach Bogosian's like, a stay-at-home defenseman. Sandine's a puck mover. But they're humans, man. Like this isn't NHL 2022. Yeah, like exactly. you can't just like, insert this guy. No, if it was, we would win. Yeah, <laughs> they would be good. They would actually win playoff series. You can't I, just. I'm gonna like, ask another soccer question. Get Danny angry, but Julian. Is this team the Spice Boys? Is that what we are? Is it, uh, you know, you Man. got your Fowler and McManaman. And you can I can I do our listeners a favor and ask who the hell are the Spice Boys? Oh. <laughs> mid ninety, mid to late nineties, Liverpool. Robbie Fowler, Steve McManaman. You know, lighting up the city of the Beatles. Um, you know, that's funny. I I would say I won't call them the Spice Boys until they show up in a cream suit at the arena. <laughs> I don't like where this is going. But yeah, they were like they played football. They're a stylish team. They were the team that if you were playing the video game, you wanted to pick and you wanted to play with. Um, but they didn't win. So they always they'd always come short. They'd always lose the big game. Sound familiar? Um, they would always have a good time. That was the big one. You know, win win or lose, they're gonna booze. <laughs> and that's like a tag that every Leafs team gets hit with. Oh, absolutely. To a certain extent, right? Well, no, sure. I mean, b- back to my, my comment about Washington and Tampa, you know, Toronto, it, it's still a young team. And I was heartened because I didn't realize how old the Tampa Bay uh, lineup was mm-hmm. this year. I went and looked after the fact that they won. And I wonder if there's a maturity thing at play here as well with the team. Yeah. And, you know, do they have to, to your point, you know, just stay the course? But you mentioned that core, but then beyond like people think about Stamkos and Hedman and Kucherov but what happened in the time period of those guys is they hit big on a goalie and they hit big on Braden Point now if the Leafs are going to hit big on the equivalent of Vasilevsky and Point I will be the first one to sit here and say at best right now Nick Robertson is hitting yeah and and I'm, I'm not making a direct comparison it's more that you don't have to be young necessarily your court doesn't yeah. have to be young to win and I think there is there was an effect with, with, with the Blackhawks winning and Pittsburgh winning early after kind of drafting, you know, Taze and, and Kane and, and, and Crosby and Malkin that you have to win in this window. It's like, well, no, you, you can win in that window, but you can also win down the road as the team matures. If you yeah. draft Jake Gensel, if you draft Connor Sheary, it really helps. If you draft a Brandon Saad and have him play on an ELC in a top six role, if, if Nick fill. Robertson can play in the top six come playoff time, that's a huge boost for the Leafs. Yeah, I don't know it, if that's going to be doable or not. I don't know if he's going to be ready for it. What's going to happen instead is he's going to play the whole year in the A, and then for some reason, like, Keith's going to sit there and say, yep, go right to line one after having not played here all year. Like, that's after, essentially what he did time. with Sandine. That's essentially what he did with Sandine. Sandine yeah, didn't play top player. Paid that's bottom not an unreasonable, that's an unreasonable expectation. I'm Like, I, yeah. I, I don't think putting 19 or 20-year-olds who, you know, are, are, are physically small players – into and you can succeed being small don't get me wrong i'm just saying like it it, it hurts in the playoffs when they stop calling everything um yeah. you dump just ask mcdavid 
yeah, if you dump him on line one or line two, that's a, what bad teams do. You know, that's a bad team. That's a desperate move. That's a let's put Luke Shen in the NHL right now and see how it goes. Because that's what shit teams do. do. You know, he could do it, but yeah, it's a bad team's move. And and I don't think we should. One of the big things I want to get into, because we've talked to about the team and their struggles. Now you guys were originals. Now one of the big things PPP did, did I say three times or two? Okay, good. Uh, losing it. You guys covered the media well and the coverage of the team and the quality of the coverage of the team. And one of the biggest issues I've had over the past years is the softness of the coverage in Toronto. Toronto's known as a tough market. And I think the fans are fairly ruthless, but I think the coverage of the team has been absolute pillow soft. I don't think people talk about it enough because the groups that do lead conversations are usually media driven. And I look at something simple as in like the season ended and I guess the season's over, but Keith should have been grilled over his lineup decisions and he should have been grilled over their special teams performance. And I just go back and I read the transcripts of the questions and the answers. And like, this was all just soft. Like it was like the season ends and, and no one says a word basically to Dubas about trading a first for like 10 games of Felino and a third for like four games yeah. of David Riddick. And like yeah. you go down the line and the, like the media is nowhere. Yeah. And, and also like, I'm trying to imagine another universe in which you, um, you know, you have an executive leave. He goes and takes over a team. You sign that team's best player to a massive contract. And then that team comes within a heartbeat of going to the Stanley cup finals and you haven't won a round yet. Like, and you know, two years in a row not getting slaughtered and don't get me wrong. Like yeah. I honestly still have strong faith in the, in the front office, the management group and Shanahan. I think they do a really good job. I think I, overall, but there are some, there are some like the Felino question, the third round pick question, the salaries questions, right? The Wayne Simmons, that's a big question. Joe two, years, Joe two years and a no trade clause. And Joe, you can sign and play line one. Or even last year, the plan was Joe Thornton, Jason Spezza, Wayne Simmons. And we know Spets played great, but like, you know, like the plan to add a bunch of old dudes, like again, is not to me the most progressive move, you know? Like but, I was well, kind of, and that's why he's not getting slaughtered, right? You're naming a bunch of deals that's all most of the reporters that would normally be carving them up we're all tripping over themselves to approve of, right? Like, I think, you know, the media in this town, there's a certain segment that's always going to be shitty, but I think even, I'll say, even friends of mine that don't like do this, all those moves, they were like, all right, finally seeing the light, he's doing it right. Yeah. And so then this summer, it was kind of funny seeing them argue that I was being too tough on them. I think they were kind of stymied, right? Because the Leafs, like, because we're the most important franchise in the world in hockey. Yeah, like 100%. we set the conversation a hundred percent. And so, like, I remember, like, early stats era, early Twitter, like, you know, the way that 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 Burke and then Nonas were building the team was there was a total referendum on how to build a hockey team based on things like the Clarkson contract, based on things like we have our own metrics, all that stuff. And then, you know, you see Dubas and other teams have done things similar to what we did, but it's more important because it happens here. And I remember hearing Ian. I like my heart went out to you after the playoff game. You were like broken because you were like, "This is how you're supposed to do this, right?" And it didn't work. And then if you're like the traditional guy, you're like, "Oh man, Jake Muzzin, T.J. Brody, Joe Thornton, and that's supposed to work too." And that didn't work either. So maybe part of the reason the questioning is soft is because like 
everybody's kind of like, well, what's your narrative? Like, why are they losing? Yeah. If, so Dubis kind of pushed out Lou. Like, it, like he put, not directly, like he put the pressure on Shanahan that like, I'm leaving. Yeah, if, fair enough. If, which is fine. But let's say the shoe is on the other foot. Let's say Lou put the heat on Dubis and then Dubis left and Dubis went back to back conference finals and Lou lost in round one, two years in a row. I think everyone would take a shit on him. I completely agree. And I want to double down no on this. You don't honestly. think so? His love that Bert got, that no one has got. The that Lou got like, covered was, what people say on Twitter is not the same as the media conversation. Yeah, that's fair. And that's fair. And I follow a lot of, you know, disciples and yeah, not too many like people who are obsessed with Lou. On Twitter about how the Leafs do things has no, no repercussion in the media market beyond. I'm not on baghead Twitter. That's, that's not the, yeah. part of my timeline. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Lou would be getting caught. Lou did a lot of stupid shit while he was here, obviously. The like, Marlowe contract, like number one example, right? Duba spent two years digging out from, from what he got left. Totally. I think, I think that's part of it is that, you know, most of the moves feel right. And yes, it hasn't worked out. And the Felino trade was a disaster, but it was actually a reasonable risk to take, I think. If he was healthy, it um, would have really helped. Yeah, I, I didn't mind Felino at all. He just wasn't yeah, if, if, if he was healthy, it would have helped. And I just think that... I don't know. I get what you guys are saying, and it's soft, but I think if I go back to the Cox block era and the, the bullshit that Tiller was calling out and George was calling out, that wasn't good critical commentary. It was horseshit, right? Like it was just, yeah. it was just, it was just bitching for bitching's sake and, and not really anything substantive. So like there's, there's, you know, there's certainly criticisms to be, to be made. Um, but I think underlying for me, I'm like, it hasn't worked out. But I don't really think I have any big complaints with how Dubis has tried to construct the team and what he's done. It hasn't worked out. Um, the Mara contract, notwithstanding, I think it was, it was an overpay. But it is hard. You, you don't want to be overly critical when, you're, yeah, they made some decent moves that just didn't quite pan out. And the story's not over yet, right? So I'm okay with them not being completely lambasted because that's, you know, well, the, op- the opposite of being too soft is being way too critical. And that doesn't help, I don't think, any either as well, right? So my favorite writers and my favorite stuff to really dive into when I was learning about analytics and I was trying to learn about how to use all this information, it was the pieces that were extremely critical of the Carlisle and Nonus regime. And I feel like that's where I did my most learning about the yes. sport of hockey. I learned how wrong I was about David Clarkson. I learned about Tyler Bozak and Wowies. I learned about a lot of stuff, I, but the same people who were extremely critical and trying to use the best available information they could to prove their points when it came to uh, explaining concepts about hockey, those same people won't be as critical with Dubis. And I find myself getting frustrated with it because I want the goal to just be good analysis. I want to open up my laptop in the morning after a frustrating game night and see good content. I want to consume it. And I'm finding that ever since Dubis got hired, the good content that I used to read when the Leafs sucked under Carlisle, I think there is a bit of kid gloves going on there. And I'm wondering if I do it myself subconsciously too, just because I want him to succeed. And I want this way of evaluating hockey players and this way of going about business to work. But maybe that's just me. I don't know. I, I find myself getting frustrated with the, like Anthony said, the media in this city, the my Twitter comment section, my the the people who I've been following for years, I'm wondering if they're not being as critical with certain moves as they would be in years past. Well, no one, no one wants to tell their friend that they suck, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the, the difference is when, like, Burke Nones 
era, that was like stunningly obvious yeah. dumb moves being panned, right? So you're yes. obviously going to get more worked up arguing Tyler that Biggs. when it's, yeah, as opposed to now it's like, okay, well, I think they're going to get a 1% improvement. And you're like, no, you're a lunatic. It's going to be 1.5% improvement, <laughs> right? Like, I, and I get, I'm the worst for like getting in there and being like, it makes a difference. It, it really doesn't. So I, I think overall, so it kind of tampened thing down. The other thing is, the other thing is like the moves weren't. It's not just the moves, although that's important. Like like this, you know, it is a quantum leap in terms of basic competency. But it's it was also management. like a total shit show. Like it was a circus, and so it was easy to cover and talk about how poor it was because you had stuff like you know like uh kessel freaking out on dave festchuk and you had like you know business in the media and the media was worse so i think part of it is ian your expectations are higher now i think there have been some low-key shit like things though they just haven't got the same attention like them coming out saying the team's fully vaxxed and then like a week later they're like oh nylander's not medical exemption fine but you don't come out and say the team's 100 percent if it's not 100 percent, which it's not sure and the right like the the matthews like the the matthews incident yes was brutal yeah was brutal and then dubis has to come out and it's like and it's like i didn't know and it's like okay well what the hell's going on here like i think there have been like those kinds of things and it's like but julian's right though it's like they almost make moves that are like they're deceptive, right? Because people sit there and it's like, if bunting doesn't work out, they're going to go, well, the contract was worth nothing. Like who cares? It was a low risk Mm -hmm. bet. But like the risk is that the team is shittier and the margins are slim. And that's like, he's boxed himself into that corner of making those bets. Like that's his only choice. Like we could be looking 30 games from now saying bunting's not an NHLer and Cassie's out for the year. And you've basically spent the summer re-signing Wayne Simmons and bringing in Nick Ritchie. Yeah, but the flip side of that, you can you can split hairs with that all the way down the line. You can say he yep. traded nothing to get Jack Campbell, and Jack Campbell basically put up a Vesna quality season for the Leafs last year. I don't think Trevor Moore is nothing. He's a good he's he's a fourth no, liner for like a, a guy third liner. Anthony, yeah. come on, cup contender. No, is he on the third line? Is he on Tampa's third line? Anthony, my son. Trevor Moore for a team that has had no depth for three Anthony, years. What's what's Trevor Moore offensively? Not much. Yeah. But I'm That's saying he's point. A, thank you. I'm, I'm saying he's it's he's not nothing. Yeah, no, but and I agree. I like everyone's him. boxed into those tight corners. So yeah. like it is what it is. Um That's true. Everybody is I, I think yeah. and I think actually the the Matthews point, that story coming out, it reminded me um ML seven hockey always says the thing with he always says the thing with the least and it's generally like it's all hockey media as we've seen, but He's a big, I think, Eagles fan or some terrible NFL team. Um, so he he always says, like, you get real investigative reporting in the NFL, which is kind of funny considering how yeah. enormous it is. Because you don't hear that in hockey, and especially not in Toronto, the stories that actually fucking rock your world, right? Like, Unless it's Katie Chicago Strang one, or Rick Westhead, you're not getting anything. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and I think the reason they can do it is because they're not really local reporters, right? Yeah, they're not. Look at the way the rest of the league, besides a couple of reporters, covered the Blackhawks abuse story. I mean, that like we're going through the Stanley Cup, and people yep. were just not talking about it and not asking people about it. It was one of the worst things I've seen in, in sports media ever. And I do, uh, so I do have to run. So, um, we should. yeah, thank you for coming on.
Yeah, my my watch is telling me it's bedtime, guys. So but I do want the MLSC <laughs> story before we go. So Chemi was super smart when Twitter started, and he got it, and then put up that the first tweet, and we kind of shared it for the first little bit while we were trying to figure out what the fuck Twitter was. <laughs> um, and then finally we split off. He did Felix Pop, and I did this. Um, and a couple times the team reached out, and one time I did go with Forbes. Um, we went to like eleven. And the pitch was more or less like, hey, we're trying to, um, you know, do some internal branding. It'd be great to get the Twitter handle. You know, you know, we understand maybe with the sale of the team, it's not the pension plan owning it anymore. Maybe like our creative team could create like a new brand and a new website for you, more or less as the trade-off. <laughs> and I just remember Forbes was just like, are you guys fucking kidding me? Like. Like, not that it's worth any money or anything, but I just thought they'd be like, well, it be. it's one of the SB Nation sites, right? So at that point, I don't think it was Fox Media yet, but I was like, no, the company that makes our website wins awards for this kind of thing. Like, I don't need MLSE's internal graphics design intern <laughs> to make me a new logo and website. Like, at least offer me something, even if it was like 500 bucks. And then I could have told Jason, yeah. like, all right, I'm mailing you your share. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was just like, I don't know if they thought it was going to be like a 15 year old, two 15 year old kids show up and it's like Forbes, who's a real starstruck. And starstruck by the Leafs. No, like he's like the most cynical Leafs fan, even at that point. No, I meant like I think they were expecting yeah, like, two yeah, kids sure. that would be starstruck and like shit themselves. And, and just he be like, was sure. fucking grilling. Maybe them. it worked it with amazing. Jeffler back when they tried it a decade ago, and they just figured they'd try it again. I don't know. Yeah, like uh, yeah. So anyway, it was so fucking Mickey Mouse, and we left, and we we're like, "This is why the Leafs suck. They can't even do this little thing right." <laughs> yeah. Did they talk about like the Canadian Tire sponsorship too, or was that just oh, Stamkos? Fuck. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. I was like, there's a lesson there. It's like, just like pony up some money at the, t- at the front kids. And, and, you know, they would have had to count like 10 years ago now. Yeah. All right, boys, I got a bail, but thank you so much for doing this. And no, this, it's a good time to get out. Thanks for sticking yeah, around. If you've been listening on, for an hour, 15, everyone, me and Anthony will be back next week. We'll re- Pension plan. For- four part. <laughs> yes. Yeah, four parter. See on Crave, HBO Max. The OG PPP crew, everyone. Thanks for joining. Cheers, you guys. Thanks for having us. That was great. Have a good night. 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 Good night